Welcome, everybody, to episode four of Flip the M podcast, a Five Reasons Sports production, uh, sponsored by Prize Picks. Remember to use the uh, code FIVE, that's F I V E. So, on our episode today, we have reoccurring guest uh, Joe Sean. What's going on, man? How we doing, John? Thank you for having me once again. It's a pleasure to be yeah. here. Always happy to have you, man. And then we have a special guest here, uh, first time, uh, long time listener, uh, our friend from Fish Stripes, Eli. What's going on? Yeah, that is accurate. I have listened, I think, to every <laughs> moment of the pod so far, and you guys are doing great. So it's it's a, a pleasure to hop on right here at this very critical time of the spring, right on the doorstep of the regular season. Very exciting. Yeah, and we're happy to have you. So uh, speaking of that, we just got out of the World Baseball Classic, which to me is a wonderful event, but apparently that's a controversial take. Uh, some people think that it is uh, it doesn't matter, um, but... I kind of want to see want to see what y'all's thoughts are on it. Uh, get kind of your viewpoints, but let's go ahead and start with Eli. Eli, what are your thoughts on that? I would have to agree that there was some faction of the population, especially in the U.S., and I'd say honestly in the white U.S. fan section, where they view this stuff just as an exhibition, right? Where uh, so much of our relationship to baseball for a lot of the Americans is through a particular major league team and everything that happens outside of our major league team feels secondary or even less than that. It's just an afterthought. We've had this tournament now, obviously the U S has been in every time Um, they've only won once. And you would think that having won the previous one uh, on its own would have like taken a big step in towards um, validating it to Americans and making them uh, a little bit more invested than they had been before. And I think as, as this tournament gone on, went on, you saw a little bit of that, but, uh, but generally speaking, like this was a situation being there myself. And I think you can even tell from afar um, the way that certain games played out that there were particular fan bases. Um, a lot of basically any non U S fan base that was more, emotionally invested in the outcome both the players and especially the fans that they recognize that this is such a rare opportunity especially in this case the first time in six years to um, to represent their countries and knowing that in this especially this type of tournament um where it was possible even if you didn't have the most talented team that you could win you could there was so much upset potential and coming so close to uh, to going so much farther than anybody could have expected. So much could happen and so unpredictable. Uh, and the way that it played out, it was like a nice share of surprises and also some expected outcomes. Once you get to the very end, having Japan and the U.S., I think a lot of people would agree that those were two of the top three rosters overall. And so you got that really satisfying ending. At, at the very end, the absolute perfect way to finish this off by having arguably the two best players in the world, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, going at it the way that they did. And thankfully, um, from a U.S. perspective, I think you just listening to the players themselves voice this again and again, they wanted to make it clear that this is such a rare opportunity for them to compete internationally for the U.S. and that they took it more seriously than the regular season games. They had it on par with postseason games. Um, even if they weren't earning money directly from this, the same way that obviously their major league careers are sustaining themselves and their families, um, they make an exception for this. They realize how rare an opportunity this is, how hard it is in the U.S. to get onto a roster when there's so much competition going on. Um, it was such a satisfying tournament, the way that it played out and the way that we finished it, uh, making it even sweeter, the fact that so many of these games and the most important games were hosted in Miami. Um, 
and that it went really smoothly in Miami. Like this is a stadium and an area that has had some trouble for Marlins games um, in terms of managing crowds and making things go smoothly and getting people in and out. And they stepped up with the help of major league baseball. They put on just a really great event for everybody involved, just a smashing success uh, with a few controversies in between overall. um, This was such a pleasant distraction from spring training games. Um, from the meaningless stuff, from the stuff that even the players themselves kind of want to brush past and fast forward through to get to the real games. Um, I, this, this is like a best case scenario for the way that this tournament went. The best news of all is that it's only three years until it comes back again. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of hit every, every point that was on the tee for me. Um, it, it, it was an incredible tournament to watch. Even, even though I wasn't there personally, like the atmosphere was just electric watching it on TV, you know, Obviously, I'm 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 America. I'm from I'm American. I'm from Florida, you know. But watching like, you know, the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico game, like I was so heavily invested in a, in a in a game that's otherwise meaningless to my nationality. That was so such an electric atmosphere that went through the TV and into the homes, and, and it's it broke like every record for the most watched event on TV, um, which is so surreal uh, for something that is a quote unquote meaningless tournament. Um, I do want to point out super quick if that we flash back to pre-World Baseball Classic. I did say on Fish Stripes that Japan would win, so I'm going to take that trophy home with me for the week, uh, cherish it a little bit. Um, but going forward, what you were talking about is is a lot of the players, you know, are saying that this was more important to them than the World Series. Trey Turner said that his, you know, home run that he had, I think, in the quarterfinals was the most important home run of his career. Um, and it's not even just like people from other nationalities saying that it's Americans saying that too. Um, so, and, and one thing that I want to point out that's really bothered me is that a lot of the commentary behind being against the world baseball classic is people are saying, you know, why should players play it? They can get hurt. They're not getting paid for this, but you look at a country like Japan, whose league coincides with the same time as the MLB and all of their players are at the forefront playing for Japan. Um, so I think it's just a different mindset. And like, we always say that baseball is America's pastime, but it seemingly Japan's starting to surpass that with, with the popularity that it is out there. And, and I think I saw that 93.6% of TVs that were on in Japan last night, were watching the, f- the final of the world baseball classic, which is just an asinine thought to even have, um, Joe, what, what, what's, what's your take on, uh, on the world baseball classic? Well, I, pretty much agree with everything you guys say um it was an amazing tournament uh everybody showed out miami did really well hosting and uh making sure everything ran smoothly personally i love the wbc um and being dominican we take a heavy pride in wearing uh our colors and representing the flag and our and our country so the passion that we like we take this very seriously so Dominican underperforming, like you can tell how you can just imagine how that went down in the country and everything. And personally, uh, I feel like for baseball to become a global sport, this is necessary. Um, if you look at, for example, what FIFA does with the World Cup, obviously baseball is nowhere near nowhere near as global as soccer. Or so for, to get new fans and to keep expanding the sport, this is extremely necessary. And we're still in the early stages of this tournament. It's only been around uh, for a little bit over uh, like five editions, right? This is the fifth edition. So uh, 
as time goes on and, and decades pass and this tournament keeps developing and the right amount of uh, effort, time, and money is put into it to keep expanding the sport, uh, it, it'll be great. Um, I do think that uh, Americans and people that are fan of Major League Baseball view that baseball is only MLB, but baseball is much bigger than that. So maybe it's not as important to somebody who only cares about the New York Mets or the Yankees, but baseball is something that it, it, it's growing more every day, and this tournament is necessary in uh, continuing that path. So definitely I, I love the WBC, and if you want the sport to – become global and or more global and to continue having fans and developing, this is extremely necessary. So I, I love the WBC. Yeah. And I want to shout out Mike Trout really quick because at the end of this, he, I mean, it turns out in, into the scapegoat making the final out. He's somebody that has taken a lot of crap throughout his career um, for not maybe doing his part to grow the game, despite being such an obviously brilliant player, not being marketable enough not taking whatever steps he needs to take to, to reach certain people. And I'd argue that like he has made up for that and more with his enthusiasm for this tournament. He was one of the first guys to jump on. Once it was confirmed that the tournament would be in 2023 after being rescheduled, he's like one of the first ones to jump on and say he wanted to represent the U.S. That was the reason why they were able to bring in as much talent as they did onto that roster. He kind of doubled down on it even after the end of this, saying immediately, wherever I am in 2026 – uh, no matter how many games the Angels lose between now and then, I'm going to be up for doing this again and immediately hop in, hopping on and saying that they want to, they want payback, they want to do it again. That makes such a, it builds so much momentum for at least in the U.S. You know, potentially having playing the biggest part in growing the WBC from where it is now is if you actually had the U.S. taking it as seriously from the players' perspective and also from the fans. Um, as the other countries did, then that would take this even to another level in terms of potentially how, how expanding the tournament, making it even more frequent, or just making these games more meaningful and, and just finding ways to somehow uh, outdo what they did this time. This set a really high standard for like the competitive play and the stakes and the drama and the motion uh, to make it move even forward. Um, what Mike, what Trout did right there um, to insist how important this was to him that's that's huge and uh so he deserves some credit for that and it yeah my expectations for the next one are going to be even higher um i talked about this on our fish stripes live stream the the only downside of this is that i think this went so well that the ticket prices next time around are going to be a lot more expensive like i was able to get in pretty cheaply to the two games that i did go to and um i don't think i'm going to be as lucky next time around because <laughs> because this went so well and because it really did this was certainly the one the one tournament that really blew up the whole profile of the tournament. And for the most part, that's really good. Just uh, if you're trying to get tickets, it's going to be more competitive, I think in 2026. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that looking at, uh, looking at the controversy that came of it, of people trying to figure out whether or not, you know, the WBC was worth it for some players. I think that kind of grew the passion that America had behind it. Cause everyone's like, Oh, this is such a stupid take. And it grew in popularity, like it was all over Twitter. That's all you could see for the couple days that was going into like the finals of the, of the WBC. So there's one positive to take from the bad takes. It's, it grew the popularity of it, grew the, grew the attention of it. Uh, we all kind of banded together against that. So I think going into 2026, I feel like a lot more players will be more willing to do that and willing to play for the country, which is something that I'm hoping for, because obviously we had a lot of all-stars on the team, but 
you look at all the players that sat out and not even just USA. You know, you look at all the different teams uh, that were playing in there, and if, if the best of the best for each country had been playing, it would have been an entirely different ball ballgame uh, for a lot of these teams. Um, but going off something that people say is inconsequential or don't, doesn't matter. Um, let's talk about spring training. That, that A lot of times people look at spring training as a kind of do or die as to how players are going to do during the season. So I want to kind of get your you guys' viewpoints on um, – whether or not spring training stats matter because everyone kind of has different takes on that. So uh, I'm going to start with Joe over here and see does spring training matter to you? What, 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 what about it? You know, um, I'm kind of in between. So in, in a vacuum, no spring training really doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, you go, you try to get your reps in, you warm up, you, you get ready for the season. But at the end of the day, nobody, got paid because they hit 400 uh, during the month of March. Right. So um, it's not important in that regard, but I feel like it is important for getting your reps, getting the rust off, making sure that you're working on whatever it is you need to work on and setting the tone for how you're going to be during the season. Um, I feel like a lot of players have maybe had a rough spring training and, but they're working on certain things and that allows an easier transition um, into the season. So it's more important about just getting your reps in and, and making sure that uh, you're getting ready for the season in, in the right ways. And it, that's the most important part instead of results. I mean, Zach Greinke is notorious for being super quirky and trying to, outlandish things during spring training and i feel like if a game was that important they wouldn't just throw curveballs for two straight innings so yes yes and no yeah i'm kind of on the same view uh i think spring training it matters when you're looking at people who are fighting for roster spots it matters when you're looking at young players who are maybe facing you know major league talent for the first time or you know, trying to get their footing in the major leagues. So it matters in, in the sense that you want to look at them and be like, see, see where they've grown, see where, see where they're struggling and kind of adjust throughout the season. Uh, but when you're looking at veterans or people who have been in the major leagues and solidify themselves, I wouldn't really be worried about it unless obviously, you know, their velocity is down or, you know, they're just swinging out, out outlandish pitches. Um, I, I think the big thing is – we're all so excited for baseball to come back that, you know, we look at, you know, win-loss records, uh, batting average, ERA, stuff like that, um, because it's been so long since we've had baseball. You know, it's been since October, about five months. Uh, or if you're a Marlins fan, it's been about six or seven months since the end of the season. Um, it, it really depends. I, I don't take too much uh, view into it. I, I take it with a grain of salt. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts? Uh, the word I would use is that it's just extremely noisy, the stats. It's the combination of having, as, as you mentioned, veteran players where they don't care whatsoever what the results are because they're guaranteed certain spots in the roster and they're guaranteed their money. And the Marlins in particular, probably more so than the majority of the teams, they have so many of these opening day spots already settled, especially on the position player side. So many of the guys that already know they're making the roster, knowing they're playing a certain amount of time, um, that they lack any sort of urgency to actually put up numbers during spring. 
that they're, they're working on very particular things. And unless you get inside their minds, some of them will let you inside their mind and tell you what they're working on and what they, they're focused on. A lot of them don't. And so there's just so much unknown about it. There's the fact that there's different rules in play, that they have rules that are determined to just get these games over with. And on top of everything, this year, experimenting with new rules for the first time that a lot of these players haven't used before, that's another complicating factor that goes into it. It's super noisy, but you look for signs that a player is doing something differently or that they've changed in some way from the past to the present. So whether that's something physical, they're, they're a lot bigger, they're a lot smaller, they're a lot faster, they're a lot slower, something like that. Whether it's approach-wise, like they're sending, the, as a hitter, they're hitting balls in this direction that they usually don't hit for, or there's something different in their mechanics. On the pitching side, obviously using new pitches, you know, the characteristics of the pitches, the VLO and sequencing, those are the type of things that you can look for if you dive really deep into it. The bottom line is with the Marlins, it's been such a disaster from a performance standpoint. They are, any way you slice it, they've been the worst spring training team. I, I'm, I'm somebody, I get tempted sometimes to be the critical guy, the negative guy, because that's kind of missing sometimes in Marlins media. Uh, but I'm not really... I'm not forcing it this time. This is just, it's right in your face where performance wise, this team is the worst hitting team out of all 30 teams by a big margin this spring. They're one of the worst base running teams. They're one of the worst defensive teams. They're even one of the really bad pitching wise as well this spring until very recently, finally turning it around where it's, you can't ignore it at a certain level. This has been a very unusual spring in that they've, the results have been so bad that it makes you, think a little bit deeper as to what's going on at the end of the day it is just really noisy and we feel like we've seen a decent amount of spring stuff but all of a sudden some people listening to this they'll be listening to it right as spring training is winding down it's still just a small sample at the end of it so no matter how bad things go it's just a tiny sample and it's you can't get a big feel on an entire team in that limited time when guys are in and out of the lineup and when you have all these other factors going on, it's just, it's really noisy at the end of it. And uh, yeah, sometimes you, you feel like you'd be better off without it just because it makes you question things that you feel, you know, about the player and the team overall. Yeah. One thing that I want to kind of step off of what you were saying is that as I, as I mentioned earlier, like it's a yes and no kind of thing. As you said, it's, it's noisy. The stats are, but it's worse in the case of the Marlins, because you look at the Marlins and they have preached this entire offseason about a different philosophy. You know, we have new coaches all around the board. We have a new manager. We have brand new players that are supposed to bring a different kind of hitting philosophy to the team. Well, and obviously we have players playing out of the natural positions in Jazz Chisholm out in center field. We have Luis Arise over in second base, Gene Skira at third base, which is all kind of wonky that we're not going to get into. I've said it before. I don't, I don't understand it. But it's scary because you look at a team who has preached all offseason about changing their philosophy and changing how they view and how they have a new uh, coaching team in there. You know, they have a new manager. They have a new attitude towards the game as a whole. And yet they've looked like the same Marlins or maybe even a worse version of the Marlins that we've seen in the past. So it's a little worse in that, in that fact. But, you know, as I said, veterans are kind of testing different things out. So I'm going to wait until they're – a couple weeks or a couple games, hopefully not just after the first game to react to how I think the season's going to go. Um, but let's just go ahead and, and ignore all that and be reactionary here. Um, I, I kind of want to see what you guys see as the 
best and worst of the spring training player was. I'm going to go ahead and start out with mine. Uh, I'll go with my best and worst. Uh, for me, the best impression that I've gotten this spring training has been from Jesus Sanchez. Um, you know, he's out of options, so it's either either he makes a team or he's DFA'd or traded, which, which is something that we don't really want to see out of the young player who last April and May was tearing the cover off the ball before he fell off. Um, this spring training, he's batting 300. He has a, se- a 758 OPS. Um, he's still striking out a ton at 11Ks in his games, but that's always just going to be part of his, his game plan. He has started to hit the ball better against lefties. Uh, I don't have any stats for that. Um, but the most impressive fact that he's done for me is his aggression on the base path, um, which I know that we haven't been that good this uh, this spring training, but Jesus Sanchez was never a guy who was seen as you know speedy or crafty on the bases, but he has three stolen bases so far this spring training uh, compared to zero home runs, which is the polar opposite of what his game normally is. Um, so we're all excited to see that final battle between De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez for that final outfield spot. Whether it's going to be a platoon and they're both going to make it, I don't entirely know. We'll find out what happens. Um, but who has the worst impression for me, um, and this is a really sad thing to say because this is who I was really ro- uh, rooting for, uh, is Braxton Garrett. Um, you know, he's fighting for that final rotation spot to try to push into a six-man rotation um, to try to maybe alleviate some of the stress from other pitchers because we had some longevity issues. Um he has nothing left to prove in, in AAA. You know, he's killed it the past couple seasons down there. Obviously, he struggled in the major leagues prior to last season. But he's been downright terrible, you know, this spring training. And there's no sugarcoating it. Um, he has an 825 ERA, a 1.83 whip. Batters are hitting 347 against him. Um, he still has 12 strikeouts and 12 innings. But, like, when you have all those other factors going against you, it doesn't really matter how many people you're striking out if you're letting up almost nine runs per per game, you know. And, and I still think that the Marlins might leave him in the majors as a six starter because I don't think that this spring training is him. As I said again, I don't put too much weight in his spring training stats, but it's the polar opposite of his spring training that he need, that he needed to have to put that final solidified "I am in the major league" kind of spot. Um, Eli, hit me with your impressions. Uh, the one player that I've done over the last year and a half have done a total 180 on him is Jesus Lazardo. When they Marlins acquired him. And for most of that first year in 2021, like I, I just didn't see it. I saw a guy that had good stuff, but was not particularly close to putting it together. And I had serious questions about him as a starter, even heading into last season and the work that he's put in absolutely shows and his ability to harness his gifts. It's showing up this spring uh, he's coming off a great year when he was healthy last year, he was on an, a per ending basis. He was the number two guy in this rotation. He was even better than Pablo Lopez. The difference that I'm seeing this year is uh, his changeup looks better than ever. Like that was a pitch that was not even like, even in your mind when you think about Lazardo when they traded for him, you think about his slider, you think about his high nineties fastball and the improvement with his changeup really shows like those have been the nastiest pitches I've seen from him this spring. And the other issue, even last year at times, there was some inconsistency with his control. There would be certain times where he was just inefficient with his pitches, where he's putting runners on base needlessly. Um, Even though he performed pretty well overall, um, you have some questions about how deep he's going to work into games and how consistent he's going to be if he simply is not throwing enough strikes. This spring, 13 and two-thirds innings in one walk, so far all spring that is what jumps out to me one walk no hit by pitches like he's commanding his stuff better than anybody starter or reliever on this entire marlins team i would not have expected that 
when you combine that with the stuff that he has and now with the depth of his pitch mix, um, I think to me, he has been impressive, even with a four, six, one ERA this spring. So on the surface, you, you wouldn't notice anything different about it. Having seen him this spring, like I'm even higher on him than I was during the second half of last year. It makes you really understand why they were willing to trade away major league starting feeling that all this guy has to do knock on wood is stay healthy not even 32 starts. That'd be the dream. If he makes, if he pitches just three quarters of a season in your rotation, uh, he's going to pitch at an all-star level. Like he has at this point from what we've seen, especially this spring, I, I feel like he has everything to be a great starting pitcher for this team. The fact that this he's still so young, he's still so affordable. Uh, he, this is extremely exciting and Every, the further we get away from the trade to acquire him for Starling Marte, like the narrative is completely changing because of how much work he's put in, how much he's learned from Mel Stoudemire Jr. I can't believe I didn't mention this, but the one thing that really stood out for me from his last start is something that Mel was talking about during the offseason about how he thought Lizardo would really learn a lot from working with Johnny Cueto and the way that Cueto varies with his delivery and with his timing there was such a perfect example of that in this last game against the Astros where three different pitches in three different deliveries. Like one of them was, he went as quickly as possible. The other one, he was, it was like a slow leg lift and then he went quick. And then on the last pitch did the exact opposite. He held it for an extra couple seconds and uh, you could see it made so much of a difference. So like, this is a guy that had questions about putting pitches where he wanted to and now all of a sudden he can put pitches where he wants to, even when he's screwing around with his delivery, even when he's like adding this extra element where you can now have to contend with a guy that has all these nasty pitches. You can put him where he wants to, and you don't know when he's going to throw the ball because he's now been working under the master Johnny Cueto with that to um, keep guys in off balance in that respect. So I am so bullish now on Lizardo heading into the new season. I'll be really quick on, on the negative one. There's so many that I could go into. Uh, the one that uh, that in a, such a small sample, like really pooped the bed this spring was Troy Johnston. He was a non-roster invitee to spring training after being one of the better hitters in the Marlins organization the last three plus years. Like he had earned this opportunity to go to camp to maybe sneak onto the roster as like a platoon bad part-time DH first baseman. And in his small opportunity, he just showed nothing. Like he uh, defensively, he looked totally lost at first base. And then offensively, no hard contact, very little contact whatsoever. And he was very quickly reassigned. It went so poorly, unfortunately, for Troy in spring that they end up signing Yuli Gurriel into that minor league deal. I don't think that would have happened if this guy is – really legitimate prospects uh, had performed more so up to his capabilities during the spring. Uh, I thought there was a good chance he would debut at some point during the season. And now all of a sudden his road to getting an opportunity with the Marlins this year beyond is a little bit clouded just because he looked so overmatched in that small sample early on in spring training. Yeah, no, Troy is one of my favorite prospects. I saw him play. Uh, out in Pensacola this past year, and he was just phenomenal in every facet of the uh, every facet of the game. So to see him struggle so mightily in his in his minimal time up here was really disheartening. Um, do you want to do a quick shout out because you mentioned uh, you were bullish on Lazardo this year, like you're really excited for him? Um, 
if y'all were paying attention, I do have a parlay going for the year with uh, Jesus Lazardo getting over 155 strikeouts. Uh, you can find that on my page and go ahead and tail me on that if you want to win some money this year. Be sure to use code 5, that's F-I-V-E on prize picks, and you can go ahead and tail us on that. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to Joshan. Uh, Joe, go ahead, tell me, uh, who do you like and dislike this spring training? So someone that I definitely uh, had my eye on just because of the questions going into uh, into the season as to how the Marlins are going to address it, um, it was the bullpen. Uh, I definitely had eyes on a couple of arms just to see who, who can fill out those couple of uh, bullpen spots that, that were open. Um, so a, pers- uh, a player that has impressed me early on in the spring in his few outings is um, Andrew Nardi. Um, he's been out there and uh, watching him work, seeing how, how nasty his pitches are, how, how basically he has hitters fooled at the plate. It's something that definitely could play at the major league level. Um, he's pitched about six innings, six and a third, and he has eight Ks. And pretty much he hasn't been touched. He's given up a couple of runs, but but nothing, nothing out of nothing crazy. Um, and I think definitely this spring performance is something that he can build on um and and continue to prove himself at the major league level after having a short stint um last year and not particularly doing the best. So seeing him in the spring show, showing himself uh, to Mel and, and to the team that he can possibly be um, a reliever that we could depend on. So Nardi is definitely somebody that has opened our eyes, uh, opened my eyes. And as for the negative, there's a lot. I had a, a, couple, uh, a couple of players that I could have named. But just to stay consistent consistent in uh, the players that I have named before, a player that I had wanted to have a good spring training, especially for having an abysmal year last year, um, Aviseo Garcia. I wanted to see him just do th- things different, show a different approach, show that he's worked on in the offseason. He's lost a bunch of weight. I just wanted to see him. Uh, maybe do better than strike out 50% of the time. Uh, so definitely I was underwhelmed with Avi, especially coming into spring training, seeing uh, all the work he had put in into getting in shape and um, always being uh, around the stadium, working out and you know, working on his game. I, I just wanted to see something better uh, in the short month of spring training. So definitely a little bit disappointed in Avisayo. Yeah, I think uh, disappointment with Abasail is a uh, understatement for his career in Miami. Um, but as we said, veterans are toying with different things in spring training, so we'll see if that translates out to the regular season. Um, I do want to do a quick shout out because you did mention relieving uh, relievers doing well uh, for us in there, um, and AJ Puck has definitely been one that has impressed me. Um, obviously, you know he's been he was he was really good last season with the A's. But having him out here getting nine strikeouts in five innings, only five base runners are allowed. Uh, great product so far uh, for someone who could end up being our closer by the end of the year. Um, but that is all we have left for today uh, for this podcast. Uh, so, Eli, thank you so much for joining us. We're really happy to have you on here. Um, hopefully, you'll come back a couple more times throughout the season and we'll get to talk with you a little bit more. For sure, for sure. With some, thank you for, thank you for stopping by, Eli. With some better individual moments to highlight, and some, um, yeah, absolutely. I'm just ready for the real games 
to get going and uh, to see like the, there's so even with the way that this spring has gone, like um the matchups they have early on in the year, the fact that there's a lot of action going on, very few off days early on, we're gonna find out a lot about this team relatively quickly. And the stakes that they've kind of attached to themselves by pushing more money into the table, pushing more veterans onto this roster, even if they don't fit the right way. Um, this is a this is going to be the type of season that the Marlins haven't really had in a long time in terms of the expectations. And um, at the very highest level, Kim Eng has her fingerprints all on this one. And this is going to be a big test of whether her creative approach is going to get them to overperform or uh, whether or not we have a crisis on our hands. It could go in a really big variety of ways. So I'm uh, I'm fired up, fired up, man. And it's great to have as many content creators as possible covering this team from every angle because there's going to be so much to dive into for better or for worse. Appreciate yeah, it. no, I, I, I completely agree, especially looking at, I believe this is Kimming's last year on her contract. So this is kind of like a make or break year for her if it doesn't go well. We might see another GM next year, which will be definitely interesting to, to see how that goes. But um, by the time the next podcast comes out, we'll be at least a week into the regular season. Uh, so we'll have a little bit more to talk about, a little bit more stats that have more weight, more gravitas. Uh, but until next time, guys, thanks for listening and can't wait to continually flip the M with you hopefully a lot more this season. Thanks, guys.